Good morning. How how are we doing? The the worship was. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say awesome, and then I thought that really doesn't quite do it justice. But that's okay, because. Oh, no, I don't believe in just making up for it with quantity. (laughs) Glorious. I don't know. Anyway, that was so good, so good. Um, I could not separate them. You know, I couldn't tell you it wasn't because of that, but I don't think it was. I think anybody doing that would have. (laughs) Um, Well, let's pray again, because we're about to shift gears, all right? So, Lord, we come before you now uh, desiring your instruction. We want your spirit to come and teach us and to abide with us. And we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, and let this uh, really be what's just what is on your heart that you would communicate that to us in Jesus name okay so um, I'm going to start with a scripture in first uh, Corinthians 13 first uh, uh, Corinthians 13:11 yeah that is when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. We've heard that before, haven't we? I mean, we've almost all heard that. Um, And what, what I'm going to be talking about is maturity. And I'm not coming at this because I'm mature. I, I certainly hope that I'm more mature than I was a decade ago or two decades ago. But I know that the first time this stuff occurred to me, I mean, I, I have the steps, um, the steps to maturity written down here. Okay, and the first time I wrote these down, and, and I know it's not the first time it occurred to me. It's just the first time I have a record of it um, was in, I think, 2006. No, no, I'm sorry, 1996. So that was, that was back there away. And it's funny because when I think now, you know, what I know now and what I knew then, there is such a vast gap. And in a sense, there was just a whole level of maturity that hap- has happened since then. I'm not, I'm not saying to everybody, be like me. What I am saying is there, there does appear to be a pattern and that there is a misconception or a... Anyway, I want to address that. So... And, and the pattern is dependence, independence, and interdependence. Um, 
so what I'm going to say is that we are, we're in the United States of America, and we, uh, one of the most important and influential documents in our history is the uh, Declaration of Independence. Um, and essentially what that, you know, to what that was saying is the reasons why it was necessary to revolt and to uh, challenge the British crown and so forth and, you know, our reasons for, for, for establishing a new country. Um, and, and that is a really remarkable document. You should read it. If you haven't in a while, you should read it. It's something we all should go back and read. I mean, to me, reading the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence every now and then, we talk about them a lot, but every now and then it's a good idea to go back and read them and just see, just so we know what we're talking about. Um, but in that case, we, we declared our independence. And so, in a way, we've always been kind of a nation of rebels. And sometimes it's good to be a, re a rebel. I mean, sometimes it's good to not just conform. But, uh, let's see. Well, I don't have the scripture here, but there is that thing in uh, Genesis or Exodus. I can't remember. Where, you know, it says, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So that's not the kind I want to do. Um, so the idea is that, that we go from dependence to independence, and we're grown up. And that's just not true. Um, so, for example, as humans, just our normal development, you have a child. And a child is dependent upon parents or that child. I mean, if somebody doesn't take care of that child, that child will die. You know, um, that's just the nature of, you know, of, of a baby and a toddler. They have to be dependent, and that's a good thing. You know, I mean, if everybody will do their part, that's a good thing. But then you have the adolescent. Now, not every culture has adolescence. I mean, we tend to think of that as kind of a normal human thing. It's only affluent cultures that have adolescence. You know, a lot of cultures and throughout history, most cultures, <clears throat> went from childhood to adulthood with a simple rite of passage of some kind. And uh, among, say, um, warrior type, or let's say, uh, you know, that Native Americans or uh, Vikings or, I mean, people who, people who ha had to live in a kind of a warrior society, then before a boy is able to participate in the grown-up 
aspects of living in their village, city, whatever, has to show that he can hold his own in a battle and he has to provide for a family and so forth. Um, and so about the time these, somewhere around the time that these boys reach puberty, they go through a rite, which they don't have to pass. I mean, they can fail it. And they would, in the, you know, from that point on, I mean, they, I mean, they go from boys to men. Um, and there usually weren't the same kind of rites of passage for women. It was really mostly, uh, you know, they've been raised to nurture children and to do the things, you know, that were biologically women are equipped to do. So I'm not saying this is a universal. But essentially what's happened in most cultures, well, I mean, let me just say this too. Even among, uh, say, the, the Jews, for millennia, <laughs> long, long time, uh, it, it was true that sometimes they had to fight and sometimes they had to farm and sometimes they had to, whatever it is, have pastures, or, you know, uh, sheep and stuff. The, the thing is, is the one thing that they all, the males, were responsible for was knowing how to read the Bible in Hebrew. Ever since there have been synagogues, you know, and this isn't a Jewish history lesson, but I'm just saying that that was their male, that was the most important thing they had to do. So they had to learn how to do that. And then they had the bar mitzvah, which was at the, about the time of puberty. They have been trained. They know their Hebrew. They can, they can read the scripture in the synagogue. And they become a, a male member, you know, a, a, an adult member of their society. So I'm not saying that this is universal, but it's certainly true here and certainly true in most of Western Europe and a lot of places where there is this thing of adolescence. Now, I've been teaching, this is my 30th year at Westbrook. Um, and so I am surrounded by adolescents, you know, like nine and a half months out of the year. And I don't know how they feel about being called adolescents, because if we do talk about that, if, I, you know, if that comes into whatever we're discussing, I'll say, you know, I, I, I don't have another term for it, because if your children or if you're grown-ups, I mean, then there are ways to determine that. But if you're in between, then you're an adolescent. And that gap of adolescence um, seems to be getting a lot longer. And I'm, that's just my observation. It certainly was for me. Um, I mean, I, I really came to maturity very, very late, if I've come at all. And I really think I have, but then I thought I did in 1996, too. So, you know, you can't necessarily take my word for it. Um, but the idea is that when you're a child, you're dependent upon parents and upon a larger society. As adolescence, the whole purpose of adolescence is independence from parents and establishing your own identity. 
and that is important. It's annoying to me, to grown-ups, but it is important to the adolescents. Now, it doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and we say, oh, that's just, you know, that's just being an adolescent, you know, finding their identity. Um, a very wise friend of mine who said one time, and Wes, I think, was around 16 or 17, and he was doing some, you know, what I would call rebellious. Now, they weren't really rebellious, but they were very, uh, he was pushing the envelope of identity, okay? And so this wise friend of mine said, that's what he's supposed to do. And, you know, and my thought was, well, what am I supposed to do? And he said, push back. I thought, wow, what a concept. He's supposed to, he said, he'll never know the bound, he'll never know his boundaries if you don't push back. So he's trying to find where his boundaries and you're, pushing back and he'll you know so okay i understand this better anyway so the idea of of adolescence is that the uh that in that stage of development there is uh, a human is going to be trying to establish an identity and the identity is separate from the parents in other words, way more, way more separate from the parents. They're going to identify with a group. They're going to identify with their own musical taste, their own, you know. I mean, it, it's just, they're just branching out and finding out what, you know, what they like and what they don't like. Now, I, as I said, I have been surrounded by adolescents for 30 years. And uh, actually, before that, you know, but I've just been at Westbrook for 30 years. But during that time, what I have noticed is, and this is true in our culture at large, uh, the equation of independence equals maturity. All right? Independence is a step toward maturity, but it is not the destination. Okay? I mean, interdependence. And what does that look like with us? I mean, uh, having a spouse, being a good husband or a good wife, you know? I mean, that, that's, that's interdependence. Now, we have a lot of husbands and wives, but, and they don't have, you don't have to be perfect, but you kind of want to be good enough to where, you know, we, we can beat that 50% divorce rate, you know. But if, if you're doing it right, if the interdependence is there, then, uh, I mean, it's a work in progress. That's what it is. And, and so you have that. You have coworkers. I mean, how, how are we getting along with our coworkers? We are members of things. You can be a member of the military, you can be a member of a church. 
You can be, you're, in other words, you're a part of something that is only a something because there are other people who are parts of that something. And even if we look at, well, let's, let's look at the United States. It, you know, when we started out, we were, I mean, the original United States, we were 13 colonies eventually, right? 13 colonies who were dependent upon England. We may like to think that we weren't, okay, but we were. I mean, they had to send soldiers over here every time we had a conflict because we couldn't do it ourselves. When I say conflict, I mean one of the various French and Indian wars. You know, and we were, we were allies. We were, you know, we were on the same side. But that's one of the reasons they had the taxes and stuff, the revenue things, that were that kind of led to the revolution is they thought well if we're gonna if we're gonna house a bunch of soldiers over there you're gonna put them up in your houses and you're gonna pay us this kind of money and you know they just wanted their army paid for um yeah there was a little more to it than that but that's a big part of it and and that was because we were dependent upon them and and it wasn't just that. It was like commerce. Uh, we were, you know, they were like the, that was the mothership. That was the, you know, we, we, we did all this trade w with England. And so when it finally came down to the revolution, then we did that as states. Now, being an American and growing up in the United States, I thought a state was something that you, you know, you could put a bunch of them together and you could have a nation. Oh, no, that's not what state means. It, it, <laughs> every individual country in Europe is a state. South America, Africa... You know, I mean, we have all of these states, and what a state is, is it's autonomous. I mean, they, they, they make their own decisions. So we gained our independence as a result of the revolution, and then we had statehood for these 13 states, and we all had our own tariffs, we all had our own border guards. We all had our own laws. And, I mean, we had the Articles of Confederation. Before the Constitution, we had another Constitution, right? Do you all remember that from history class? The Articles of Confederation. Now, why the Confederate States in, you know, 1860, 1861 thought that was a good idea, I don't understand. I mean, they believed that every state should be sovereign, and that's what they enacted, and it didn't work out any better the second time. The first time, however, it was a big mess. So they didn't have to have any, any war, but they did have a few border skirmishes. And so that, then they... they 
okay, we got to try this again, and they, they convened, and they had the Constitution. Now, so what, was, what do you have with the Constitution? You've got sovereign states within a single sovereign state. It's called the federal system. I mean, and it's, 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 it works pretty well. There's still a clash between what the power of the national government is and the power of the local state governments and so forth. But what is it? It's interdependence. It's not like you're in Georgia and you want to come to Alabama and you have to get a visa and you have to pay, a, I mean, you know, a, a toll or whatever because, you know, I mean, we're all members of the United States of America. We're all under the Constitution. And so, as a result, we are interdependent. Um, you could look at Israel in the same way. And I'm not, again, I'm not going to go through a whole history of these things. But, you know, you had, you know, Moses in the desert and you had entering Canaan and then you know you finally you've got a kingdom you've got David and Solomon and I mean so the whole idea is this going from you know dependence to independence to interdependence but mostly I want to talk about the church um, because there's a there's kind of a thing in church. Now, it's, it, I honestly believe it's better than it used to be. But there is a sense in which um, people in the church are kind of, can be viewed as units, numbers, um, that can fit interchangeable slots. We don't really do that. Here. And like I say, I think it's a lot better in a lot of other places. I do really, really do think that has gotten better. But the idea that people are interchangeable, you know, and they said, oh, we need somebody in the nursery this week, or we need somebody to <clears throat> take care of the so-and-so Sunday school class while, uh, you know, brother so-and-so is out of town on vacation. Um, that excuse me, that and the idea that virtually anybody could do it um, is what I'm sort of what I'm talking about now I mean sure people can come in and they can fill the gap when there's you know when there's a problem but um, that's not normal. That is not the norm. That is, you know, we are, uh, as I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I'm going to give you some scripture on that in a minute. So, um, so what we are is if, first of all, we understand that we're individuals, uh, that we all have our own spiritual identity. We all have our own spiritual gifts. Um, that we are, you know, that's one thing I think this church has been really good about is that trying to get us matched up with, you know, whatever we were good at or called to. 
But most of all, we are members. Now, we're members of the body of Christ. We're members of this church. The idea here is that that is an interdependent situation. So let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to start on verse 12. All right? So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason stop, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And, I, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And that's the interdependency thing. We all have a function here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there is no be no division of the body, but that its parts should be equal, should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, let's look at Ephesians 4. There we go. Starting with verse 11. 
Okay. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. You've probably heard things preached on that. I hope you have. You know, that these different giftings and these different members are there to prepare us to go out and do the work. You know, it's not like we hire a bunch of people to come in and they do the work for us. You know, their, their job is to prepare us, to equip us to do the work. So, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, um, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So, this type of maturity is a product of unity. And it's not unity because we're all the same. Right? We saw in Corinthians... The unity is because we're where in the body we're supposed to be. And here, it's we, are, we have maturity because we are in unity because we're doing what we're supposed to do. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, I know that is an issue, and that is a thing that we are concerned with. It, it, it is, is not like it's, you know, that it, if you do certain things right, you won't have to worry about that. Um, that, is, that is a worry, and it, it, it pops up through the epistles and in the book of Acts. However, um, <clears throat> they will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful, in their deceitful scheming. I think... To me, one of the most disheartening things about teaching is that when I talk to my students, who, for the most part, well, not all, you know, I mean, I'm saying 80% of them probably have been church, in church all their lives. And um, so when I, you know, when we talk about what they believe, they don't even bother to know what they believe because they refer back to what they're, you know, what the pastor said or, you know, whatever. It's like, I mean, we talk about, we can talk about basic theology stuff. And, and uh, now this doesn't come up every day in English literature, right? But, but it does come up. Because this was a big issue in England, you know, from the early 1500s on. So it does come up. When somebody said, what's the difference between, you know, the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Calvinists and the so-and-so? And I, 
I start to try to explain it to them, and, and you know, this, they don't know what I'm talking about. I take that back. The Presbyterians know. Um, <clears throat> they, 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 they've been taught. But we're not, there, just there is this, okay, what, we're, what we seem to be passing on to, to kids, you know, adolescents, whatever it is. First of all, Christianity is a democracy. That is nowhere in the Bible. It is a kingdom. And there are, there's, there are hierarchies. And some people are, you know, when it comes to who can get saved, then yes, anybody. But as, you know, all this other stuff, we have a lot of stuff where we have imposed things that I think as far as public policy or pretty good ideas, this democracy being one of them, but the idea that somehow that is stamped onto Christianity is, I mean, I don't see it in the Bible. There are occasions when the Christians would, um, would hold things in common, you know, and share and things like that. Well, there's communism. It's there. It's in, it's in the Bible. And it is. When there's an emergency and people are going to die, and that's, the, that's, that's what they do. But that's not the norm. That's my position anyway. Um, I'm just saying that it's not, you can take what you believe and you can try to sort of impress that on what the Scripture has to say. It, and it's hard to approach Scripture without these preconceptions. But the idea here is that we want to take the ideas of, uh, you know, we want to impress American ideas on Christianity. Some of them are consistent and some of them are not. So that my, that's my problem right now. That's the problem I'm seeing and that we have adolescents who are Christians and who um, really don't know what they believe. And their idea, and, and to them, what it is that is challenging them, what it is that is, you know, how are they going to feel mature? Well, right now, I've got a bunch of seniors. I don't have all the seniors, but I've got a bunch of them. And they all think, or the, most of them, think they already know all the important stuff about being grown up. Now, part of my job is to prepare them for college. And if there's one thing, way to prepare them for college, it's to say, you ain't got any idea. All right? But, you know, I mean, I want to, I want to cut them some slack, but at the same time, I have to notice that they really, they've achieved some level of independence. Some level. Even in college, they will not, uh, they will not have achieved independence. I mean, they, they're working on it. it. It's what happens, you know, it's when they, 
when they go from there to interdependence. And that's going to be in marriage, in work, in, a, in something, you know. Uh, the military does that, too. I mean, there are, there are ways that that happens, but I guess the idea that w- the thing that really crossed my mind when I was preparing for this was the way in which once we get independent, we think we've arrived. And that is just not true. We need each other, and we need to be there for each other. So, um, and let's look at verse 15 of that same. Instead, speaking the truth in love. By the way, that is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Right? That doesn't mean if you say it softly and sweetly or anything else. I'm telling you, speaking the truth in love is dangerous. It is also required. In a way, I hate reading that because, you know, I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Okay, anyway. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. Now, that's, you'll notice, and then it says, from the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. So go back to 15. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So you could almost look at the ability to speak the truth in love as like the prerequisite, the essential, and also the test of maturity. You know, can you do it? Can... Can it be received? A lot of times we don't want to do it because we, we know we won't do it well, and we're right. We probably won't. And yet that is what we're told to do. So, um, whatever it is that has held us back, if it has, Whatever it is that may have held us back, I really would like for for the Holy Spirit, maybe not everything, but anything that's the next step, to sort of highlight for us so that we can we can go on, I mean we can overcome that. We can by the power of God that we can go to the next level in that. So, let's pray. Lord, we want to be your body. We want to be what you want us to be. And I know it's discouraging because we see so many things that um, 
that are, are wrong, you know, just things that are not right with your body. But I'm asking that you will perfect your body, that you will, as each of us, that you will work in each of us. And I ask you, Lord, to speak to us right now, maybe later. I don't know. That's up to you. But I'm asking you to tell us what it is you would like for us to do to, to be ministered to, that you can draw us into the next level of maturity. And these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.